there. Come and knock, that's cat. That's cat. It's Genesis. I'm gonna do it, bro. I'm I'm there. there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there. I don't know what you're talking about. Why are you standing there? Because I'm right there, literally. Wait, Genesis 41? Genesis 41? Uh-huh. Verse 25. Got it. Through 37. I'm there. 25 to 37? Yes. I'm there. I'm there, being. I'm there, too. I don't know what you're talking okay. about. Okay. Then Joseph said, that's that's literally. So, uh, please read. And then we will read, and then we'll pray. 25 to what? 25 to 37. Genesis 41, 25 to 37. What version are you reading? You're going to say that? NIV. Okay. <laughs> then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. There are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They, they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? That's an added 38. So he said, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing day. I thank you for this glorious day that you've made for us. I thank you that we're here together in your name. In no one's name, not my name, not in anyone else's name, but in your name. The, the one and only name that's above every other name. Lord, I know you're here. I know you're in our midst. Help us be aware of that. Help us acknowledge you in all of our ways, Lord. And Father, as we just read, you are the God who reveals truth. You're the God who reveals honest messages. And Father, today I pray that you speak through me as you did through Joseph, Lord. I pray that your spirit reveals to me what needs to be revealed to everyone. I pray that our minds are open to what you have for us today, Lord. Lord, I thank you for teaching me these lessons. Lord, I pray that from what you've taught me, I can speak I can speak your message. I can speak your word. So that your word may be, may be, may be the life and understanding. I pray that today we understand a little bit more of who you are. But I thank you for everything. I thank you for everyone here. Father, I pray over every single thing that we've, we've planned, Lord. 
thank you that it's all good in your eyes. I thank you that it's, it's, it's seen by you and heard by you. Lord, I, I thank you that you're pleased by it. Father, I pray that your hand is, is over everything that we've planned, that, that nothing comes from us, Lord, but only from you, and only from your spirit, and only for you, from your will. Father, I thank you for everything. I pray that you bless everyone here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So, um, what we're going to talk about today is kind of a shift. We're going to talk about a, sh- a shift of how stories have panned out in the Bible. Um, and we're going to read a few stories, and I want you guys to focus on one word, and that's strategy. Strategy. Okay? So, um, we're, it's, it's four stories, and, and each of them have their own version of strategy. Okay? So I want you to, to keep that in your head, and then we're going to talk about them fully later in, in, in one collective um, interpretation or analysis. So we, we read Genesis 41 first. That's one of our first stories. And what we read is that there's a famine, not just in Egypt, but it's going to be over all the land surrounding Egypt. And Egypt used to be huge at that time. Um, and Joseph, I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of a backstory. Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob. He's one of the 12. And his brothers had sold him to Ishmaelite traders. They, they sold him again. And, and, and that way he came to be living in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. Actually, he didn't just sell off. And he was in Potiphar's house. He was in Potiphar's house. So yeah, he was working there, and Potiphar's wife tried to bribe him to sleep with him. Seduced him. Yes, that's, that's, that's literally the word. She seduced him, and he rejected her, and he found his way in jail because she was dishonest, and she, uh, she framed him. And she said, This man that you put in your house is trying to. He's dishonoring you, so he got put in jail. And if you fast forward, he, he finds these people that are in jail. He's the cupbearer and, and the, the baker. They both have dreams, and he interprets their dreams, and the dreams come true, and he tells them that they should remember him. And they don't remember him. for, whole, for One of them dies. The baker dies. But they go without, with the one that survives, they go without remembering him for two whole years. So Joseph is still in that jail for two entire years in a, in a land that he could be doing a lot of things. But he saw the things that he did in jail. Imagine what he could do outside of jail. So God, by, you know, in his own ways, in his divine ways, he restores Joseph as he did those two people. Um, oh, the, the one person, the other, the other died. But he restores Joseph, and now he is... He's, he's a very loyal, and, and he's, he's kind of a right-hand man to, to Pharaoh. Um, and so Pharaoh sees a dream. He sees not, not one, but two. Uh, and, and he's very stressed about this dream. He's like, I don't know what this means. So he, he calls people in. So Joseph comes up. So Joseph comes up, and the, and the first thing he says, lost uh, words. So, uh, he says, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. They were two, but they're one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. 
And, and Joseph here is saying, this is not just any mere dream that you're seeing. This is from God that you're seeing. And, and he not only showed you one dream, but he showed you two. And that, it says later, he, he saw two dreams because the severity of the situation warranted two dreams. It wasn't just, you see one dream and then you think about it, maybe, but two dreams, you're sure that that's about to happen. So Joseph says, I'm going to reveal the meaning of this to you, not, not by my own wisdom. God is giving me this wisdom to be able to interpret your, 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 your dreams. So he tells him the meaning of the dreams. The meaning of the dreams don't really say what Pharaoh should do in light of that. He just says there will be a, 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 a seven years of plenty and there will be seven years of, of a famine. So what? So Joseph continues by God's wisdom. He keeps telling him what he should do. And Pharaoh listens. And, and he does it in the way that Joseph suggests. And that ends up being the reason why Egypt survives. And not only that, the lands around Egypt survive. And not only that, Joseph is reunited with his family. So one... One small act of obedience to God and, and, and delivering a message that was, that was said to him. Joseph spoke the message that was given to him, and that became the reason for the, the salvation of, of I guess, the, the, the surviving of, of, of that nation and the people around them. Um, so let's go back. And he told him what he should do in those, in those times, right? In the seven years of plenty, don't eat it all up, you know? You know there's going to be seven years of famine. And that seven years of famine is going to be so destructive that the seven years of abundance will be forgotten. It's like it was never there. Like it just cancels it out completely. That's how severe it was. It's not like, oh, it'll be a small decrease in the crop. It'll be a complete famine. You guys have never seen a famine. I've never seen a famine. I've never seen a famine. But... You hear, you hear that stuff like this has happened before. So in that time, it's like it's really hard to have hope because you don't know. You plant, you plant a crop, doesn't grow. You, know, you could have so many people that understand this, the soil and, and, and how, it, how the, the seeds germinate and all that, but it doesn't happen. So they're just lost. And that famine... Is so severe that the abundance that was before it is forgotten, right? So he tells him, store up what you have during those seven years of abundance so that you may have enough for the years of famine. And they didn't just have enough for themselves, they had enough for others, okay? So um, that's the strategy. That's the strategy we, we look at. Uh, next up is uh, Ruth. We're going to the story of Ruth. Mm -hmm. Chapter one. This is not even fair right now. Okay. You said one. Ruth one. Uh -huh. Oh, verse one. So read to me verse eleven. I'll tell you when stuff will. Ruth what? Ruth, Ruth, Ruth chapter one. one. Eleven. I'll read. Ruth chapter one. Verse 11. Read until 13. 13. That's not too long. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and then gave birth to sons, 
Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. <laughs> she has reason to. Um, so the story behind this is that there's another famine in the land. Uh, and, and they've been living in Bethlehem. And so because there's a famine in the land, they leave their hometown and they go to a town called Moab. Um, the story behind their family is you, know, you have Naomi and she has a husband and he, they, they get two sons. They give birth to two sons, Malon and Kilion. But those two, they marry and they die. Not just the sons, but the husband dies first and then the sons die. All during the famine. It's not mentioned. It, it might be a disease. It, there's a famine going on. So Naomi is left with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And, and so they travel to Moab, but then all this, you know, all this tragedy happens, and they hear that the, the, the land is restored back in Bethlehem. And so they, they say, let's go back because you know, God, God is, has shown us favor, so we can go back to our hometown and live like we used to. But uh, those two daughters-in-law, they tell Naomi, we're going to go back with you. Like, we're, we're not just going to abandon you uh, because you know, our, our husbands are, have died. We will go with you. And Naomi says, don't go with me. I have nothing for you. Like, there's no reason why you'd go with me. I, I can be of no use to you because when you go with me, you're just going to be stuck with me. And you're just going to worry about my well-being. And then, you know, I'm not, she didn't say this. I'm like imagining what could have happened. She's saying, I have no use for you guys to, to go with me. And, and, and she's painting for them a multi-layered problem that she's dealing with. One, she doesn't have, that's like she, she's too old. Like she's old to have a son. And two, even if she wasn't too old, she doesn't have a husband. So it's not possible she can't just pop out a son on her own. Hey, whoa. And third, <laughs> and third, even if she was able to conceive, even if she did have a husband, she would give birth, but it would take what? 20 plus years. Yeah. Well, it would I mean, take, no. In that time, they would have had a lot earlier. 14. It would 14. still, even 14. It would take forever for, for those sons to grow up and for the two daughters to marry them. Yeah. Right? Wait. Like, think of the age gap. So it, it, it would be very uh, impossible for it to happen. So she's like, you know, whichever way you want to think about it, either, either of those three ways, you're not going to have any use by coming with me to this land. So she tells them to just stay and, 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 and do, like, live your life here and be, be fruitful. Uh, because she's like, I'm going to slow you guys down. There's, there's nothing that I can do for you guys. Like, I have no hope. And, and she projects her hopelessness onto them. That's, that's how broken she is. She's lost not only her husband, she's lost her two sons. Yes, her husband, he might have been old, but you know, the sons didn't die of old age. You know, they just, they just died. So it's like, she's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's very valid that she says God has, um, she said, you know, God has looked away from me. Like she's not, he's not looking in my direction. He has no favor on me, right? Uh, and so she, she keeps telling him, just, just leave. And 
midway in their journey, Orpah leaves. She just kisses her and leaves. Like, I guess you're right. I guess I'm going to leave. But Ruth stays with her. She's the, she's the loyal one, and she stays. And, and the story that unfolds is, this is where the strategy comes in. Um, when they're back, they, um, there's, this, there's this custom or a law that like, if, you, if you're a landowner and if, if you farm, you don't harvest all the land. Like, let's say this is a plot of land, right? And you have wheat growing on it, and, you, and it's, it comes time to harvest. You don't want to harvest each, like if you, if you imagine how they harvest, they just, they go around and they harvest everything. They don't go around the entire land and cut every crop. They, they like start like over here, and they leave what's on the sides. They don't, they don't go, go in the borders. That's because they want to help the unfortunate people. So that they would come and, and see that and they would take whatever's left. Every, you know, every, wealth, every wealthy person did that. And so they knew that and, and, and they were one of those that, that needed, you know, they, they didn't have you know, people in their household to, to work and, and bring, you know, to sustain their lives. So that's, that's what they did. Ruth, Ruth went to this man, Boaz, he's very wealthy. And he was actually a family member. He, was, he wasn't as close, but he's like very, very distant relative. Yeah. So they knew, they knew he's around. And so Ruth goes there, and she, it's called the gleaning. They, she, she gleans on the field, and she harvests some of the crop that's there, and she brings it home. And she's noticed. Boaz has his own workers, and, and those workers come and tell him the letter. Like she, he knows the situation that they're in. So Ruth finds favor in the eyes of, in the sight of Boaz. And, and fast forward, they, they end up getting married. Um, so we're going to come back to the story later. So the strategy here is you know, Ruth was very loyal. It's not, that, it's not like she had a plan, like, I'm going to go, and then I'm going to glean on something. She said, I'm just going to be loyal to you. I'm just going to trust completely that, that um she, she says, I'm going to try to find the verse. It's, it's in chapter 1. I'll, I'll read it. So, it's on verse 16. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped her. So Ruth was so determined to stay loyal, and she had she had faith in in the, in the God. She, she she didn't know the, the God as much as Naomi did. So she, she said, "Your God will be my God," right? And so she fully believed that wherever she goes, following Naomi, you know, even if she dies, she she didn't even fear death. She said, "If even if death separates us, I'm not going to turn back on you." Okay. Let's go to Matthew. We're in the, I'm New, right we're in the New Testament now. Matthew what? Chapter 1. Actually, no. Luke. Luke 5. Right. He said, right. Dang it. He, he made you lose, bro. I'm working there now. Like, you had <laughs> Luke what? Luke 5. Okay. Dang it. <laughs> Here's what? Come on, guys. Let me get there. I'm not going to change my mind. I promise. I promise you. Luke 5, verse 4 and 5. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they had caught so many fish with their nets. That almost tipped over. See, I wouldn't go over. <laughs> I was just trying to you know, get to the punchline that they got a lot of fish, but I guess. And the bowl almost tipped over. That was your punchline, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not the main point. The main point is different. But um, the story here is that Jesus, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He'd, he'd already done some, like, he'd already been baptized. And he'd already done huge miracles already. But this is when he recruits his first disciples. So he finds them fishing. And fishing back then wasn't as, you know, they didn't have fish. Yeah, they had to use a net. And these people are trying to catch fish for their living. Um, and he comes to them and says, just go into the deep water. He was, he was already teaching on that boat. He goes, go, go to the deep water and then and cast your net. And they're looking at him like, are you kidding me? Okay. Like, they know. They know he's like, they've heard of him and they know that he's done miracles. So they trust his word. Right? So they, call, they even call him master. Like he's, they're not his disciples at that point. Um, they said, we've worked all night and I've, I haven't caught anything. Jesus wasn't a fisherman. They're the fishermen in this scenario. So they know everything that goes into fishing. Like, I, I think, from, from what I've heard, there's so much that goes into fishing, especially when, you know, when you're in like an open water. I've heard one time that you, you're, you should be very careful with how the light is casting a shadow. So if, you're, if, you're, if, they, if the fish can see your shadow, they're gonna run away. You're not gonna catch anything. Um, and, and also they, they try to fish a lot during the night because that's when the fish come out. I think that's because the sea is warmer, they, they come out to the, to the top. Um, By the way, we put bait too. So he tells them, cast your net. This is a, for them, this is an unusual time. Like they had already given up. They're like, we've tried everything. Like imagine this, the, the different ways that they, that they tried. Like we'll try this method to catch, we'll try this method. None of them worked, right? And they're like, oh, we've tried all night. Why are you telling us this? But they're like, okay, fine. Like, just, just, just because you say so, we will, we will cast our net. Um, and this was, there was no strategy here. <laughs> they just said, okay. But it's because they've been following their own strategy that whole night, right? They're like, ours doesn't work, so I guess we'll, we'll trust your way. And we'll, we'll cast on it. And what happens because of that is they catch fish that they never thought they would. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. Dang. Dang. <laughs> that was helpful when Jesus gives. Talk about our strategy not working. Yeah. Did you just make a meme when Jesus gives? All you. <laughs> okay. So, keep in mind, we went from, from Joseph and, and his interpretation of the dreams. How he said, you have the seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. Be wise and save up in those seven years of abundance. And in those seven years of, uh, of famine, stay wise, 
not, don't just like consume all of it at once, you know, it's a famine. So it's like you're, you're trying to ration out, right? That, that's, their, that's their method. We went to, to Ruth. She had, she had an idea that she wanted to stay faithful to Naomi. And you know, she had a plan that she's going to carefully go to that land, do, the, do according to the custom, and glean on the field so that she could have a living. Luke 5, we see those fishermen, uh, they cast their nets just in faith, in pure faith. And, 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 and only because they've done their own method, like during the whole night, they listen to Jesus. They do what he tells them. And the result of that is they, they, they're rewarded for their faith, right? It's not, like, they went from nothing to their whole boat sinking. <clears throat> they, they've never seen that kind of miracle in their life. So what, what, what they did after that is that they just dropped it. Like, like okay, if, if by believing him we can have this much fullness, then we'll, we're going to follow this man. Let's go to Matthew 10. This time for you said Matthew 10? Matthew 10. I'm there. What, what verse? Uh, Matthew 10, verse 9. Verse 9. 9 through 11. 9 through 11. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts. Don't bag for your money or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you entered the house, greet it. <laughs> I wasn't getting more. It's okay. Don't bother me. This is when Jesus is sending out his disciples, right? And he's done his ministry. He's taught them for so long, and now he's like, "What, I, what I've given to you, give it freely." That's what he says in, the, in, a, in a previous paragraph. So he tells them to go, but don't carry anything. I'm sending you out with work to do, but don't take anything with you. Don't take gold, don't take silver, don't take clothes. All of those things that they might need, right? Mm. So there's no, like, there's no strategy here. It's just take, the only thing they're taking with them is, is the word, is the gospel, is what they've received from Jesus. They're just taking that and just going. So what, what are they holding on to here? Not really anything. If, if something happens, they're done. They have to, they're putting their belief on the goodness of the people that they come to, right? What they're going to do is they're going to go to a house, and if that house welcomes them, they're going to give their, their blessing of peace, and they're, they're going to enter, and they're, they're going to stay there as long as they need to. Other than that, they have nowhere to live. That's the way Jesus lived. Jesus is showing them, you know, God, God will provide. You have to fully trust God. So there, there is no means or method here. Right. So if if you if you notice what we've been talking about, it's like a decline of you know going in your own way. Like all of those, all of these stories, these four stories that we've talked about, there's a combination of you know very very diligent, you know, being wise and and being a good steward of what you've been given, but also trusting what God has told you. Right. In the story of Joseph, God told him those those dreams, but you know, God can tell you everything, and it's up to you. You have the final decision to listen or to not listen, right? The Holy Spirit speaks every time. It's your decision to listen to that and say, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm going to obey. And 
regardless of who, who accepts it, regardless of who listens to it or, or who sees it as, as, as foolishness, as, as being wise, I'm going to do it because I'm not going to back down from what the Holy Spirit is telling me. Right? And that has a reward. Okay? And then you go to the story of Ruth. She has, you know, she's, she's trusting fully that, that, you know, she's being loyal to Naomi. And she, she, she also has her methods of gleaning onto the fields. But what happens there is just by doing that, just by being loyal to, to a person, this, she's, she's leaving her homeland. Like, she probably has her own family back in Moab. She's leaving that to go to Naomi, who is... A very old woman. She she doesn't have any riches. She's lost her entire family. She's a woman who has no hope to the point where she wants to change her name tomorrow. But she she's loyal and she goes and, and she does what's ex, it's not really what's expected of her, but she does what she can do. Right? She's diligent in what she has, so she's rewarded because of that. You go to uh, Luke five where where they're where they're fishing, right? They have their own methods. But they've completely dropped that, right? So it's like a declining. Your reliance on your strategy is like it's coming down. It's, it's being shaved off as, as we go through these stories, right? So what, what does God want us to do? Like, does he want us to, to really think about what we're doing and, and just go our own ways? Or does he want us to fully trust in him? Well, it's a mix of both. Because he... He wants you to fully trust in Him in everything that you do, right? You're not... So, I know we, we've talked about, you know, everything career-wise. We're going to talk about that. I don't, know, I don't know how related that is to, to your lesson, B, but most of us are in this stage of life that we have a lot to work on our future. We have to be, we have to be good to ourselves now, right? We have to be diligent now so that we can... Reap the rewards later, and we're not we're not living just for the rewards, right? We're 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 doing all these things because we know that from from our work, other people can benefit, right? Yeah. We could have the, like we could have a very well well paying job, but in the end of it, if it's just money, what good is it going to be? If you're not if you're not supporting your family, if if your family isn't benefiting, if the people around you aren't benefiting, and if you're only benefiting yourself. It's meaningless. So, so fully trust in what, what God is saying. But not only that, when you fully trust Him and you do what's expected of you, the, the fully trusting is not just God, I trust you, and just mm-hmm. sitting down. The fully trusting is you trust Him, you trust what He says, you think about what He says, and then you obey. You obey in exactly how He said it. Right, you don't you don't put in your own. Hmm, let me fix this a little bit. I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Right, he tells you because he's perfect in his ways, and he's seen all of it throughout. Yeah. You're just the one that's that's sitting here, and he like we've talked about having vision and, and seeing the finish from the start. Right, we can only see the finish from the start if we see the God and, and, and listen to the God that sees the finish. Not only the finish, he sees the start, the middle, yeah. every, every part of it. So when, when, when we fully trust and obey, not, not, just, not just only trust, 
not just like do our own, like not just rely on our own talent, but we combine those together and believe in, in, the, in the gifts that God has given us. Everyone has been given gifts, grace gifts. Everyone has been given talents. When we use those and we use our own knowledge and our own minds to fully trust in God and, and obey his ways, we are rewarded in fullness. Right. So the, the, the message I have is, is, is the fullness of God. If you may or may not know, the church that Lisa came from is called the fullness of God. <laughs> it just lined up like that. But um, you can call it the fullness of God or the, the, the richness of God or the completeness of God. I like richness because a few weeks ago I had a dream. And in this dream we were... We were in Chadi's house. That's where we usually are, we do our prayers. So we're, we're just praying. Like Everyone is just praying. It's dark. There's some light. But we're just praying. And like I, I'm, I'm like walking around and praying. And I open my eyes. And I see, I see Baba. And he's, like, he's sitting like close to the wall. And he looks at me. He's like, it's so rich. <laughs> and, and, and this is still in the dream and, and I'm like I listen to that like, yes because he's so rich and then, and then the next thing I know I'm like I'm on the ground and I'm like doing this like, like a bicycle okay. on the floor and I'm just I'm just praying it was it was a good time but I, was, I saw that and then I woke up and I was like what is going on and then and I texted both I saw this like I don't know what you want to think about it, but like God is, is rich and, and, and in his in his richness he brings richness and fullness and, and abundance to us. Right? Um, so let's um, let's go back to the story of Ruth. Of Ruth? Mm-hmm. This time she belongs. Who? So in in Ruth chapter two, that's that's when you see that's when you see Ruth like implementing her her strategy of go of going to those fields and gleaning. Um, someone read. Um, is this on verse two? So I told you guys she see, she sees favor in, in the eyes of, of Boaz. And and that way, so Boaz is, I told you, he's this uh, distant relative, right? And from what we've talked about, they, Naomi has lost her, her husband, Elimelech. What's his name? Uh, she's lost him and, and her sons. So she's a widow, right? <clears throat> Period, simply. She's, she's not only a, a widow, but she's also... One who's lost her sons and everything, everything she has, like her immediate family is just wiped out. That's she's the only one left. So she carries the name. It's 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 like this this family that has died basically. Mm-hmm. And she's not in in that time. The women aren't really considered. Like they're not really counted. So that like that family and that household is just dead, right? They, ca- they carry this weight of death. It's like they, they carry the name of death mm. in their house. So Boaz is a distant relative. And he's also considered a... Um, he's... They call him a, a redeemer. 
a guardian redeemer. And, and, and what the guardian redeemer does is like he, he is part of the family and, and he takes what was lost. So th- this family of, of Naomi, like she's lost everyone. So she's she, sooner or later, she's going to lose this land because she's basically bankrupt. Mm. Right. So what this guardian redeemer is, is a person who, who buys the land and he, he keeps it, but he allows them to live on it. Yeah. And so, um, on verse, uh, what chapter? This, this is chapter two. Okay. <coughs> Actually, no, no, no. This is not chapter two. It's chapter five. This is chapter three. Chapter five. No, chapter four. Sorry. The marriage. Of yes. So, so chapter four, uh, from verse. Chapter uh, one. I'll, I'll read it this time. Verse one. Sorry. So from verse two, I'll, I'll read. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, "Sit here," and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to, to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. I will redeem it, do so, but if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So there's, in, in, in chapter 3, he talks about this other person that's the rightful Redeemer to this land because he's a closer relative. So whoever is the closest to that relative gets to buy the land. He's the, the, the rightful guardian redeemer. And, and they don't know this. Like the, the Ruth and Naomi don't know this, but Boaz does. So he says, uh, I'm going to give way to this person that comes before me so that he has the chance to buy the land. Right? So he tells this to the, like in the eyes of the elders, like in the eyes of the community, he says all this. It continues. Um, the guy, this, this new, this rightful redeemer, he said, I will redeem it, confidently, he said. And then Boaz says, uh, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. So now it says, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of properties become final. One part, one, prop, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, "Buy yourself," and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, "Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon." I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among this family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. So what happens here is this rightful redeemer says, uh-uh, I don't want, I don't want this. Because it, there's this name of dead. And he's like, it's, it's, like, um, it's like people in, in, in this age when they don't want to associate with, with, uh, like with bad business, 
so they don't want to like tarnish their name, so they like they stay away from that. Brand image. Exactly. <laughs> Brand image. That's that's a better word. So they they protect themselves because they have a lot of eyes on them. So a big company who's like a publicly traded company, if a small thing happens, like if a tweet goes out, if something bad about them, their stocks decline massively. It's, it, it's just, brand image is so important. And just like that, this man says, no, no, I'm not gonna carry this name of death. Like, it'll endanger my own estate, Yeah. right? He's like, you do it. Like, I, I completely, like he took off his sandals. I completely relinquished this right to you. Like, I don't care for this land, right? Keep in mind, he was the rightful redeemer. Like, this is just, like, completely open for him. No one was competing for it, right? But Boaz, Boaz knew this. He, he knew that, you know, he was, at first, the first, the, this is the, the part that amazes me. The first part is that he knew he wasn't the rightful redeemer. Like, he could have gone and said, I'm going to buy the land, like, forget that other man. I'm going to buy this land before he does. But he didn't do that. He gave the opportunity for that rightful redeemer to say, to, to, to make his own choice, basically. That, like, this, this is open for you. Do with it what you will. The guy said, no. Boaz says, I'll redeem it. If you don't want to, let me know. I, I'm, I'm here for it. Like, so he's, the guy says, no. And Boaz just takes it up and says, okay. Now that he said, no, I'm, I'm following the right, you know, the right custom. You know, I'm not like I'm not being shifty and, and yeah. going under closed doors and buying this land. He does what's expected of him and he buys the land in the right way. That's the first part. The second part, the reason why this man didn't want to buy this land is, a, is, is a, it carries this bad name of debt. Boaz knew this even like even before like all of this. Uh, this negotiation. So, yeah. And he says, you know, he tells the man, like, he's not trying to, like, push him out of buying the land. He's just telling him, like, you know, I know you're trying to redeem this, but let me just tell you, you know, this, you, if you redeem this land, you're also acquiring all, like, all the family members. And not only that, you're, you're also acquiring this name of debt that they have. And this man hears that, and he says, no, it's it's fair. Like, you could you could say Boaz is like tricking him out of it, but it, he's only letting him know. So this man, it, it, Boaz is fortunate enough that this man rejects it, but Boaz says, "Okay, now I'm gonna step in and redeem it, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna redeem this this land. I'm not really focused on the land, but I want I want Ruth for myself, right? I want this broken family." Right, so there is such an amazing parallelism with 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 the church and Christ. Right, first, as like, so think of the two things that that Boaz did. He 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 moved away for the rightful redeemer. Right, we were lost. We bring up the story of Genesis a lot. We fell short. Right. We rejected God completely. We stepped out of his will and we were destined to death, right? That was our destiny. That was our rightful redeemer, right? And, and it, was, it was death and our, like our own flesh, right? That was all that was left for us, right? But 
Jesus didn't forcefully come in and say, I will take you for myself. He did what was expected of him. He did all the necessary things. And he didn't just, you know, he didn't completely abolish the law. He did it, he fulfilled the law completely, right? He, he didn't duck under the law. Like, he didn't change the rules a little bit to fit what he wanted to do. He followed those laws completely. And, and by that, he was the perfect sacrifice that never existed, right? And, and, and the people in that time, they were thinking of redemption as being some kind of a, a, a military like overthrower of, of the Roman Empire. But that's not what happened. They were, they were following the completely wrong story. But what really happened is he became the perfect sacrifice that they didn't know they needed. And, and, and with so much rejection, with so much hatred, he was crucified, and, and, and that's how he redeemed us, right? He knew that we were, we were broken, we, were, we carried this name of death on us, but he took that name of death and he put it on himself. He took our judgment, and he paid the full price, right? And, and, and in that, in that sacrifice, we have, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the fullness of God within us, right? And he, he didn't just redeem us like partially. He didn't say, okay, this part of your life, I will make it good and I will, I will fully redeem you. He, he just gave his entire self to us, right? And he redeemed us fully, right? He wasn't partial with anything. And he, and he didn't just say, pick up some people, right? He didn't say, like, this right half of the church will be saved, right? All of those who believe in my name and all of those who receive this gift will be redeemed, Right? So he bought us back from death. He didn't have to. He had all the glory that he already had. He didn't need, he didn't need us, but he wanted us. Right? So in, this, in the same way Boaz didn't, he didn't need this family. Like they were, they were distant relatives. Who cares about them? Like he has all the land that he needs. He was fine without them, but he said, you know, I don't need them, but I, I really love Ruth, so I'm going to marry her. I'm going to redeem her family. That's what Jesus did. He left, he left his own glory and sacrificed himself fully. So um, let's, let's focus on that and, and realize that what, what he did is not, is not merely you know, out of convenience. Right? He followed all, like, he did everything correctly. He did everything according to God's God's will, right? At some point he didn't want it to be, but he, he obeyed God's will. And he sacrificed himself fully. And, and in that we have, we have fullness, we have the Holy Spirit. And, and, and because we have this Holy Spirit, we have this privilege of coming to him and listening to him. So whenever, whenever God speaks, it's not that we can just you know, listen and just throw it away. We have to listen, understand, and, and let go of our own strategy. Because when we let go of our own strategy and fully trust in him, we have his fullness. We have his completeness. We, we are rich in him. Right? We, lost, we lost everything in the beginning when we were empty. Before that, God created us so perfectly, and we were complete in him. But we lost all of that. But Jesus came in and said, I, you know, Yes, you've lost this, this 
this abundance in you. But I'm, I'm rich in mercy. So I will extend this grace to you and I'll redeem you completely so that you will be with me. Right? Let's pray. Mm-hmm.